0: Good morning. It is Monday, January the 20th, uh, 2020. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. I am um, sitting in a pillow fort that I built. um, So cool. You showed me the picture. It's like (laughs) you're a little girl again. No, I totally built a pillow fort this morning so that I could come to you remotely from Sedona, Arizona, where I have been um, spending the weekend with 11 of my girl cousins from my dad's side of the family. So uh, really, really fun times. Lots of conversations about our grandparents and aunts and uncles and stories that, you know, older cousins remember that younger cousins don't. And in this group, I'm the second youngest. So uh, it's pretty fun to be with these women. And, you know, it's a really, it's an extraordinarily resilient group of people. I think that's maybe my best word for... um, for this group of women. So I'm coming to you today from Sedona, Arizona. That's where in the world I am today. Um, I'm in Acts 20 in terms of the Word of God. So let me just pose those questions to you this morning. Where in the world are you today? And where in the Word are you today? So in Acts chapter 20, um, one of the things that I took note of in my study this morning um, is the change of pronouns that occurs in the opening verses. So uh, here, Luke, who is the writer of Luke and Acts, um, he really gives away that he is in the midst of this traveling party with the apostle paul so um, this is a This is like a travel log here at the opening of chapter twenty. you know Paul sent for the disciples he 's you know telling them goodbye he sets for uh, set for for Macedonia, and then there 's this travel log. Uh, They arrive in Greece, they stay for three months, um, then they move on um, to, let's see, tells who's accompanying him, lots of people, da-da-da, and they talk about then moving on to the uh, province of Asia. And then in verse 5, these men went on ahead and waited for us at Trous. So he's, he's, you know, he's revealing now this change of pronouns from he and they to um, to we and us, so he's really including himself now in in this conversation. And he says, "We sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread, and five days later joined the others at Trous, where we stayed seven days." Now it's during this time in Trous that um, uh, Paul is uh, Paul is teaching, preaching, and it's uh, it's one of those things that actually goes on for several hours. And so I want you to just imagine that you have you know, you've gone to hear somebody, maybe you've gone to hear Robbie Zacharias and you're hoping that he just keeps talking all day because you just, you're just literally like hanging on every word. So who is that? Who is that Bible teacher that you would go and sit at the feet of all day long? Um, even if, as this text says, you know, he, keep, he kept teaching until midnight. Well, one of the young people was like sitting in an upstairs window, like, you know, you know how you would, you'd be looking for a spot where you could get your back up against something and maybe a little fresh air and a stale room and so this young man, uh, Eutychus, is sitting in the window, the open window, and it's it's midnight and he falls asleep. So here's verse nine. Paul talked on and on. And when uh, Eutychus was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and they picked him up dead. Paul threw, Paul went down and threw himself on the young man, put himself around him, put his arms around him and said, don't be alarmed. He said, he's alive. They went back upstairs again. They broke bread and ate. And after. Talking until daylight, Paul left, and the people took the young man home alive and were greatly overjoyed. So there's a lot in this text. Um, We then uh, get uh, at the end of chapter 20, Paul's farewell address to the Ephesian elders. That is a beautiful, powerful scene of Christian friends kneeling together on a beach um, and, and praying for one another, knowing that the next time that they'll see each other will likely be on the other side of death in the kingdom of God in heaven. So um, a lot of questions, I think, are provoked by the text. And one of them is this. Are you living today as a person who's prepared to die? Do people know for whom and what you stand? And um, are you living a life that's worthy of that calling, that's worthy of the name Christ, Christian, that's worthy of the gospel of God in Jesus Christ? This is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And we're going to consider together what we stand for. And we're going to consider together the kind of legacy of faith that's going to survive beyond the living of these days. Uh, For what would you sacrifice? For what would you march? For what would you dare to risk your life? And are you speaking that truth into the world today in ways that people can uh, hear, receive, and understand? We're going to continue this conversation up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen.
2: with every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring. ring. Ring with the harmonies of liberty. Let our
0: rejoice. So, um, Martin Luther King Jr., we celebrate his life and legacy today. And Paul and I um, have found uh, the audio of... Uh, a speech that Martin Luther King Jr. gave to some students at Barrett Jr. High School in Philadelphia on October the 26th, 1967. It was just six months before he was assassinated, and he spoke to this group of students about life and, uh, and so the, the the speech is really about what's your life's blueprint? Like, what, what is your, not just your plan, but how are you working it out? And so we're going to um, listen to the opening cut of that speech, and then we're going to talk about it. This is Martin Luther King Jr. at Barrett Jr. High School in Philadelphia on October the 26th, 1967. What's your life's blueprint?
2: I want to ask you a question, and that is, what is in your life's blueprint. Now each of you is in the process of building the structure of your lives. And the question is whether you have a proper, a solid, and a sound blueprint. And I want to suggest some of the things that should be in your life's blueprint. Number one in your life's blueprint should be a deep belief in your own dignity, your own worth, and your own somebodyness. Don't allow anybody to make you feel that you are nobody. Always feel that you count. Always feel that you have worth. And always feel that your life has ultimate significance. Now that means that you should not be ashamed of your color. You know, it's very unfortunate that in so many instances, our society has placed a stigma on the Negro's color. And you know, there are some Negroes who are ashamed of themselves. But don't be ashamed of your color. Don't be ashamed of your biological features. Somehow you must be able to say, in your own lives and really believe it, I am black but beautiful. And believe it in your heart.
0: So when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is talking there about our somebodyness and not allowing anyone else to make us feel that we are nobody, um, acknowledging that we count, um, even when others count us out, um, recognizing that we have worth, he is talking there Um, about the reality that people are made in the image of the living God. And he may not use that language overtly in this speech, but that's, you know, that's at the heart of the way that he is thinking about things. The way that Martin Luther King Jr. comes to this understanding um, about having a deep belief in your own dignity isn't because there is any value in any life outside of the value that God places there, and he knows that, and that's the, um, that's the basis out of which he's speaking. So when he talks about your worth as a somebody, your own somebodyness, um, one of the things that always comes to mind when I hear anyone talk about our is this uh is this thing that my mom used to say when my sister and I were little, and something needed doing, and I guess neither one of us really wanted to do it. And so when something failed to get done but needed doing – My mom would remind my sister and me that we were Who Bodies. And so here is today's somebody or Who Body um, addition to getting us thinking about being somebody. So my mom would say this. Once upon a time, there was a family of Who Bodies. Their names were everybody, somebody, anybody, nobody. Everybody noticed the Who Bodies had something that needed doing. Somebody told everybody to do it. Everybody said anybody could do it. Anybody thought it was somebody's job, but somebody left it to anybody. In the end, nobody did it. Everybody was upset because nobody did what anybody could have done, and somebody should have now. I will admit that by um, this point in the uh, who body recitation, uh, my sister and I were already you know uh, silently negotiating who was going to do it. We knew that we were the who bodies, and we had been put on notice. This is how the recitation ended as I remember it. My mom would say something like everybody pays the price if nobody does what anybody could do and somebody must. And in this family, everybody is a somebody. So figure out between the two of you who's going to do it, because if nobody does it, everybody is going to wish somebody had. So there you go. There's a little somebody uh, recitation from the Fowler family. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to continue on with the Martin Luther King Jr. speech. Uh, Paul has edited it down today for time and we'll be right back. I So many of us probably recognize um, the question uh, about having a dream. And I feel like on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, one of the things that we probably frequently talk about is, you know, are we still dreaming what seemed at one point in time to be impossible dreams? And so let me just ask that as a question. Are you dreaming an impossible dream, something that if God wasn't involved, it just simply wouldn't happen? Are you dreaming a big that's big enough? Um, that 's beyond your own capability and capacity and resources uh, that you know it's it 's so big that only God could do it Martin Luther King jr. was dreaming an impossible dream. We are listening right now to excerpts from a speech that he delivered at Barrett Junior High School in Philadelphia, October the 26th, 1967. We have covered the first point, and it is about human dignity and living as who we, uh, who we are, which are somebodies. And now we're going to pick up on the second point. In Your Life's Blueprint, uh, there's going to be this question about determining to achieve excellence in any field of endeavor.
2: Secondly, in Your Life's Blueprint... You must have as a basic principle, the determination to achieve excellence in your various fields of endeavor. You're gonna be deciding as the days and the years unfold what you will do in life, what your life's work will be. And once you discover what it will be set out to do it, and to do it well. Ralph Waldo Emerson, the great essayist, said in a lecture back in 1871 that if a man can write a better book or preach a better sermon, or make a better mousetrap than his neighbor, even if he builds his house in the woods, the world will make a beaten path to his door. That hadn't always been true, but it will become increasingly true. And so I would urge you to study hard, to burn the midnight oil. I would say to you, don't drop out of school, and I understand all of the sociological reasons why we often drop out of school, but I urge you, in spite of your economic plight, In spite of the situation that you are forced to live so often with intolerable conditions, stay in school. And when you discover what you're going to be in life, set out to do it as if God Almighty called you at this particular moment in history to do it set out to do a good job and do that job so well that the living the dead of unborn couldn't do it any better if it falls your lot to be a street sweeper Sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Leontine Price sings before the Metropolitan Opera. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the host of heaven and earth We'll have to pause and say, Here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. If you can't be a pine on the top of the hill, be a scrub in the valley. But be the best little scrub on the side of the rill. Be a bush if you can't be a tree. If you can't be a highway, just be a trail. If you can't be the sun, be a star. For it isn't by size that you win or you fail. Be the best of whatever you are.
0: Okay, we are listening to Martin Luther King Jr. in a speech that he delivered um at a junior high school, Barrett Junior High School in Philadelphia just 6 months before he was assassinated. And on this um MLK Day, you know, these points that are in this speech about having a life's blueprint and then living it out. I just really think, you know, in addition to living out the dignity of who we are, this this applying your life um, once you've discovered what you are going to do, then set out to do it as if God Almighty called, it, called you to it at this particular moment in history and then do it. And don't just do it, but do it well. Set out to do such a good job um, that the dead or the unborn w- couldn't do it any better. I think that this uh, this life of excellence is an important reminder um, at this stage of history for each and every one of us. We're going to listen to the third segment um, of this before, uh, before the bottom of the hour. So, um, Paul, let's go ahead and cue up the end of, uh, of this conversation.
2: And finally in your life's blueprint must be a commitment to the eternal principles of beauty Love and justice. Don't allow anybody to pull you so low as to make you hate them. Don't allow anybody to cause you to lose your self-respect to the point that you do not struggle for justice. However young you are. You have a responsibility to seek to make your nation a better nation in which to live. You have a responsibility to seek to make life better for everybody. And so you must be involved in the struggle for freedom and justice. You've heard the word Nonviolent, and you've heard the word violent. I happen to believe in nonviolence. We struggle with this method with young people and adults alike, but I believe as we struggle with these problems, we've got to struggle with them with a method that can be militant, but at the same time does not destroy life or property. And so our slogan must not be. Burn, baby, burn. It must be bill, baby, build. Organize, build, organize.
0: So are you a builder and an organizer, um, a part of the church militant that is pressing itself into um, the, the prevailing issues of our day in a way that extends the beauty, love, and justice that Martin Luther King Jr. talked about now a generation ago. Um, I hope you are working to build a beautiful life, um, and I hope you are doing so, constructing that life in a way that is biblically integrated. Um, We're going to return in just a moment for another, uh, another conversation. And these conversations today, a lot of them are about the justice issues in the world today. Um, and how we are pressing our lives into those. So you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. It is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. I am coming to you from a pillow fort in Sedona, Arizona. We'll be right back. As we survey what's going on around the world today, we're going to have a conversation with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. She's going to give us an update on what our Christian brothers and sisters are doing in response to the catastrophes in the Philippines related to typhoons and volcanoes. Um, we're also going to get an update on some things happening in the Middle East. Um, you've probably heard over the weekend about horrific Uh, Houthi drone attacks in Yemen. We are going to talk about proxy wars, and we're also going to talk about just what's, you know, the realities of life on the ground in some of these places. We're going to talk about Iran and how the protests there are changing the tide. Um, I'm also going to ask her about what I'm hearing about these women in India, these Christian women in India who are literally standing up and saying on behalf of, of justice for themselves and others, enough. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Okay, so um, talking about Christian literature, you may have a book in your heart um, and in your head, and you are wondering, how do I get that out, not only onto paper, but how do I then get that out? Well, the Northwestern Christian Writers Conference is going to be July 24th and 25th, and it's uh, at the University of Northwestern in St. Paul. I'm going to be there. Um, I'm hoping you will join me. Susie Larson will also be there. Uh, we got some keynote speakers. Karen Kingsbury will be there. Uh, Alicia Britt Sholey will be there. It's a really great opportunity. And during the month of January, there's 20% off of registration. And so for the next, what, 11 days, you still have an opportunity to get in on the early bird discount for the Northwestern Christian Writers Conference, July 24th and 25th. All you have to do is register online at northwesternchristianwritersconference.com.
2: When a teenager is causing problems in the family, he isn't the only one in need.
1: Moms and dads desperately need support as well. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. In the heat of relentless family conflict, most moms and dads become battered, worn down, or even devastated. I've known lots of parents who are dying on the inside, but too embarrassed to reveal their weaknesses to others. If that's you, get over it. You have to talk to someone. Get a coffee with a trusted friend. Or if you know someone who's struggling with a hurting teen, invite them over. You don't have to be a counselor or therapist. In fact, don't give advice. Just listen. Your simple gesture of kindness will bring immeasurable hope to a friend in need. Learn how to get your teen back
2: on track. Get instant access to Mark's free parenting course online at freeparentingcourse.com.
0: Kramer from Mission Network News graciously joins us to bring us up to date, not only what's happening around the world, but how our Christian brothers and sisters in those most difficult of places um, are on the ground responding. So, Ruth, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank
1: you for having me.
0: Let's, um, let's start in the Philippines, and we kind of need to, I think, turn the clock back maybe to the beginning of December and remind people what has happened there just in the last six weeks.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of this went uh, under the radar uh, for for most people in North America. Uh, Typhoon Tisoy, or Kamuri, uh, which is the international name, struck at the beginning of December, so like December 3rd and 4th, and um, it came in with the strength of a Category 4 Atlantic hurricane. Um, A typhoon is not unusual in the Philippines, but perhaps the frequency with which the Philippines has been hit... Uh, is what makes this unusual. Three weeks later, Typhoon Ursula uh, came in. And although it came in on Christmas Eve, like uh, in the Category 1 hurricane strength, it hit the exact same area that was struck earlier by Typhoon Tisoy. Um, So what was already damaged and weakened by that first typhoon um, was just flattened further by the second typhoon that came in. Um, So now you have flooding, you have mudslides, you have all of this other kind of stuff that's, uh, that's, in the aftermath of two major storms, um, and then just a couple weeks later, uh, the uh, seismologists started noticing some activity in uh, the volcanic region uh, where volcano Taal is located. Um, <clears throat> Taal is a uh, kind of like a an island grouping. Um, it's an active volcano. It's like the second active, most active in the Philippines. Um, but in this, in the crater of the volcano, there's a lake, and so people have taken to building villages on the upper ring of the crater um, because it's very scenic. It's it's really pretty, um, and with uh, all of the nutrients that are in the soil, um, it's lush. So it's sort of a resort area. And obviously because it's populated, now that the volcano is active again, um, it just means a massive displacement of people. So there are like 40,000 people that have been displaced away from the volcanic ring in this area. And um, they're just waiting for it to blow because what you're seeing is not only the activity, uh, seismologically speaking, but also the plumes of ash, uh, the, the pollution that takes place in the atmosphere. There's some... Uh, obvious lava that's coming through so and there's magma as well. So this volcano is going to blow and it's just a question of when. Um, there's a lot of concern about when that's going to be because there have been 400 volcanic earthquakes since January 15th. So it's not safe to go back. They don't really know what to do. Um, the government is basically saying, We're just going to keep everybody that's been displaced in these shelters until the volcano blows, and then we've got a plan B for what's after the volcano um, going into place right now. And the government's going to declare that whole area a no-man's land, so nobody's going to be allowed to go back to their homes.
0: So we're not just talking about people who are going to be displaced for a period of time. We're talking about 40,000 people who absolutely now have to relocate. Right. and the churches in the region um i know are are responding um but
1: it's you know it's a, it's a challenging place to serve already it is. And yet we have uh, uh, a partner, Asian Access, has a training center that's within eyeshot of the region. Uh, so when the volcano started sending up the ash and the pollution, it affected people at the training center. But in uh, because of its placement, it's not directly in harm's way in, in the sense that when the volcano blows, they're not going to lose their training center. Um, but they are looking at what's next. Um, And a lot of organizations like Compassionate International are coming alongside uh, the churches that exist in this region and they're trying to supply them ahead of time with uh, needed supplies just for humanitarian purposes as the churches reach out and house some of these uh, displaced people. Um, and, and the thing is, it's not just like you were saying, not just an overnight thing, not just a couple of days thing, because they don't know when the volcano is going to blow. It's just a, a question of how many days. And it could be tomorrow. It could be next month. Um, so the the unknown Aspect of this is really hard on people. It's very stressful, and um, without having an end time, the churches themselves can't can't continue to sustain people uh, in this emergency mode. So they're really kind of looking for ways to continue to be hands and feet while also helping people to resettle.
0: Yeah, I'm just. I mean, you know, if people just Google "Towel," which is two A's in the middle, T A A L, one of the things that they're going to see is this this the reports that are coming out, like there's ankle-deep mud, there's debris, the ash is already so heavy that it is, um, uh, uh, you know, it's crushing the roofs of the structures in the region. Um, you know, it's it's not as if this is going to get better. This is only going to get progressively worse. This is, this is a volcano that is going to blow, but hasn't done so yet. And it's just, um, it's really extraordinary the number of people in the in the ring of concern. It's like nearly half a million in terms of those who have been ordered to evacuate.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's a long-term displacement. The people Mm. who are looking for a safer housing area immediately, it's like 6,000 families.
2: Mm.
0: Okay, so we want to be, you know, supporting our brothers and sisters in the region who are offering that aid and then also just recognizing that this is a a situation you and I are going to continue to talk about Let's take a pivot toward the Middle East. Um, There are so many stories in the Middle East that you you and I could start with. Let's just start with Yemen because it is, you know, it it is sort of the breaking news over the weekend. Um, For for folks who don't know, um, the Houthi rebels Um, Via drone strikes have killed more than 100 people over this past weekend. Life on the ground in Yemen um, in the midst of this proxy war is one area where you and I can point to and just say life has become quite miserable for the people who live there
1: yeah and it's been miserable for a number of years. I mean you're talking about the the largest man-made humanitarian disaster in the world, and it's one of the most underreported um, Yemen isn't a big land space uh, it's you know by by comparative uh comparatively speaking, what people are fighting over it's it's not the land itself um, it's the ideology really of who controls the land so you have the the Sunni and the Shia really involved with this. And the Sunni would be the Saudi Arabian-backed government um, uh, that is supporting the government of Yemen, and the Shia are behind the Houthi rebel movement. Um, And they've been fighting pretty consistently for a number of years, but it really picked up in 2014. Um, You're you're looking at a situation that has killed over 100,000 people since 2014. Um, And in the process of all of that, created a food crisis that affects like 11 million people. Um, 240,000 people in Yemen live in famine-like conditions. So they will die without help. And so when you're talking about the immediate needs and then you throw on top of that a swine flu epidemic and an outbreak of cholera, you're just thinking, you know, can it get worse? Uh, And the hope was with the the peace deal that was brokered back in November that they would be able to bring in some of the aid groups to address some of this. Now, there are aid groups on the ground who have stayed there throughout the crisis itself, um, but they are very limited in what they're able to do just because of the the hostilities. Um, and in right around Christmas Eve, those humanitarian aid groups had to pull out because things were just getting pretty difficult. Uh, their supply lines were being attacked. Their convoys were being attacked. So they were not uh, allowed, to, you know, safe passage in and out of areas uh, just to get the aid supplies where they were needed. Um, and so as a result, a lot of those groups have pulled out. And that leaves who on the ground? And that leaves your, your Christian underground network. Um, Yemen's not real friendly to Christians. So um, the, the network that exists wants to stay firmly underground. They don't want recognition. They don't want names. Um, they had ministry going and going well, up until it might be 15 years ago. And then someone gave an interview, um, for a media story, and that article overexposed the entire network, and Yemen kicked everybody out of the country. So all of those ministries had to start over in rebuilding everything at a time when the currency was extremely destabilized and the government was destabilized. And so it's been a long haul. So most of our partners won't respond to questions about something like this military, uh, this attack on a military training um, but just know that there is a body of Christ that is on the ground, that is struggling to try to meet needs that are ever-growing. Um, besides the the medical aspect of things, just trying to feed people is a huge, complex issue when in the morning you you negotiate a price for food that will feed maybe 4,000 people, and in the afternoon when you go to pick it up— the currency has changed, devalued again, so your costs are now double what they were. It's really hard for ministries to budget. It's really hard for them to get people to give, you know, to to projects like this because people just don't follow what's happening in Yemen.
0: We're talking with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. She and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment, Um our we've talked about the Philippines, we've talked about Yemen. We're going to continue our conversation about what's happening in the Middle East, but we're also going to talk about what um, what some Christian women in India are up to, um, and I'm excited to get to that story as well. You can follow everything that we're talking about today at mnnonline.org for Mission Network News. We'll be right back.
2: Now when the saints when the go marching in, go marching in,
0: Continuing my conversation now with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can read uh, the stories that we're talking about today at MNNOnline.org. Ruth, um, why don't you give us an update from your perspective on what's going on in Iran?
1: Iran is a very interesting situation with all of these issues, with proxy wars and concerns. Um, the protests about the government have been ongoing um, and largely fueled by younger people who want to see something different. They don't trust the government there, even though the government is headed by a spiritual leader. It is the, of the, uh, the Shiite movement. Um, they're really just saying, we want somebody different there. And then that protest kind of shifted toward rage over what happened with Iran's involvement and the Ukrainian uh, jetliner coming down. Um, and as they protested their anger, um, the, the soldiers responded Uh, by, you know, doing tear gas and and shooting live rounds into the the groups of people that were protesting. And that shifted. And then they started shouting, our enemy is here. So they weren't really concerned about what the the Ayatollah was saying about who the enemy was, because they were saying, you're firing on your own people. Um, That's really a shift in the protest. That's really a different direction from where things have been in the past with Iran and the people who want to see things change. Um, It does follow, though, With things we've been hearing from our different ministry partners who say that um, because people are really disillusioned with uh, everything that they're hearing from their government, they no longer really believe the things that the government says uh, they should be following in terms of their religion. And they're asking questions about truth. They're seeking um, truth claims that are defensible that makes sense, that speak to the heart needs. And so they're finding answers in different ministries that are working there. So you've got like Sat7Pars, uh, it goes to the Farsi speakers. You're talking about Mohabat TV, Heart for Iran, really sending the message of hope into these areas where you can't really have like a traditional um, church. You can't have a traditional gathering or do ministry the old-fashioned way. Um, These are kinds of things where uh, people are searching, so they're going outside of the borders of their country for truth, and they're finding it in the gospel. They're finding it in Jesus Christ. So what we're hearing is that um, because of the unrest, you're also seeing a huge explosion of the church. And, I'll, and what's really weird is you're hearing about these explosions of the church, and they're just many people turning to Christ, and yet they all think they're all by themselves because they know that it's right. illegal to do this, right? So they're all underground, and they're searching for something, and that's why ministries like Sat7Pars and Mohabbat TV are instrumental in discipleship, because they connect the body of Christ. So just be praying, because this whole situation is all connected to all of the other politics that are going on around the world right now. Um, You have a lot of ministries that are urging prayer because it feels like things are right at the cusp of change, actual Uh change. Um, And we just don't know what that's going to look like yet. Um, But praying for the ministries that are already responding to the needs and the, the heart cry of the Iranian people.
0: Okay. So I want to, I'm anxious to get to this, um, to this India story on this Martin Luther King Jr. Day, this story about um, uh, this dark is beautiful campaign in India, um, but through Asian access, women of worth campaign. Um, I'd just love for you to briefly tell people what is happening um, in India in terms of the advancement of women because of, you know, Christians recognizing that um, we're made in the image of God, each and every one of us
1: yeah how women are viewed in india requires a paradigm shift um to see them as something other than property to see them as something other than someone to be abused and and assaulted and marginalized so that starts in the home but you've got to you've got to figure out how to connect the dots for believers to be able to disciple at home as well, and that's why you had things like uh, women of worth. You have Asian Access, which uh, trains the church leaders, and then you have something else when you see um, these these women that are still being marginalized. Uh, the the how big a shift in thinking that's going to take, um, which is why you had women of worth. Created for ministry to women um, to help them understand female dignity and God's value of women, and from there, "Darkest Beautiful" is a campaign that came out of that because it combats a stereotype that values people based on their skin color. Um, there's a whole like beauty business that is involved in, in in India that focuses on trying to change what women look like. Um, how they were born, and so that's that's really starting with a gospel movement um, to create an understanding that you were created in, in in God's image, and you were created with uniqueness and with beauty in mind. Um, and so it's it's more than just an advocacy; it's really trying to help believers be at the uh, grassroots level of a paradigm shift for women in India. So we
0: started this hour actually talking about Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech where he talks about um, your life's blueprint. And in that, he advocates that people understand that not only we are somebody because we're made in the image of God, but that we also bear this responsibility um, to advocate for beauty, love and justice. And I just felt like this particular story is a modern day example of places and spaces in the world where Christians continue uh, to need to be the voices of advocacy and on the streets marching and today via social media um, to to really advance the same kinds of causes that Martin Luther King um, was inspired to to lead the conversation in, in this country. So thank you so much, Ruth, for joining us today. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. You guys can check out everything we talked about today at mnnonline.org. Ruth, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. We'll be right back.
1: You know my soul
2: Back
0: wonder how to make it over. Okay, so on this MLK Day, let me just remind you that you are somebody. You are created in the image of God, and you may um, need to be resilient today. Uh, life is difficult, but let us be people who are advocating for beauty, love, and justice, not only on behalf of ourselves, but on behalf of others. We've got a whole nother hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. We'll be right back.